Hey, Tyler, you bring the uh, recorder? Yep. Got it right here. Also, wait, can you can you pull up the directions on Google Maps? I kind of forgot how to get there. Yeah. We're, we're going to need Google Maps. This place <laughs> is way out there. Yeah, it's like, what, two-hour drive or something? Yeah, it's like two hours. It's like an hour outside of Richmond. Oh, wow. So, okay. get through the, the Beltway. Um, yeah, it's just... Uh, be cool with that it says Brabahannock Travel Center uh-huh. um they just got federal recognition so you know they're just it, it, it's crazy you know they've been waiting 400 years for this thing and you know, they're just super excited well, it. let's give them a listen I'll put on some tunes welcome to the Global Inquirer an undergraduate research podcast at the University of Virginia that takes a look at case studies to examine how global trends are impacting real lives. As you heard at the outset, Tyler and I drove out to southeastern Virginia to chat with the chief and members of the tribal council of the Rappahannock tribe. We'll take you back out there to listen to the roundtable discussion that we had, and you'll hear some of Tyler and my commentary during the car ride back as we reflect on a really insightful discussion that we had. So, uh, to start... Um, we're sitting down with the Rappahannock tribe here, and can you tell us a little bit about, you know, where we are in Virginia, a little bit about your tribe, a little about the background? I know you can't touch on all the history in, in the, in like one podcast, but just some of the, some background into your tribe. Okay. Well, I'm Chief Ann Richardson, and, um, I'm joined by my assistant chief, Mark Fortune, Barbara Williams is the chair of my council, and Jerry Fortune is a tribal council member. Uh, welcome you here today uh, into what we call downtown Indian Neck, <laughs> which is a crossroad in the middle of nowhere um, at our tribal center. And um, our tribe has been here, um, archaeologists say, 11,000 years that we know of, and we're doing archaeological studies on the river now that we think are going to prove to be much earlier than that. Um, this property lies between the Rappahannock River and the Mattapani River. And so historically, um, we were on the Rappahannock, and as we were moved off, this was our winter hunting ground when we were on the river. So when we were moved off the river, this is where they moved us to. And were there any, like, defining moments that could, like, characterize the tribe or, you know, defining moments that changed the history or dynamic of how the tribe moved forward in a historical context? Ah, oh, well, um, the really interesting thing about our tribe is probably the same with other tribes, but I've always found it interesting that who we were in the 1600s is still who we are today. We very much think the same, um... We still, you know, um, hold to our independence as an independent tribal nation. We don't allow other people to make decisions for us. And when everybody else is going one way, we will stand up and go the other way. And um, we will adapt to whatever environment that we find ourselves in. And that's been happening over and over as a pattern since the 1600s, even to today, with um, federal recognition and all of the adaptation that it will take to embrace that. Um, so we are resilient people. And, and before even federal recognition, it, it sounds like there was a push for state recognition to start. What was that process like? Was it similar to the f- process to 
get federal recognition and how did it affect the tribe um, when you were recognized by the state of Virginia? Well, the tribe had um, for a long time been engaged with the state on various, mostly events, like if they wanted to do, of different agencies wanted to do an event, or if, you know, November came around and Mattapanai and Pamunkey was going to the the governor to take a deer, they would invite the tribe to come and that kind of thing. But it was all very superficial. Uh, my parents went to work at Jamestown uh, in the in 57 when Jamestown Park opened and helped to build the um, Indian village down there and furnish it with the wares. And so they had had a relationship with the state because of that for a long time, but they were... Um, they were not honored the way they should have been, and the tribe had not received the formal recognition that it should have received. And so that was when all of the tribes came together and began to push for uh, state recognition. And then when that occurred, um, we ended up with a, an Indian commission, study commission of... Uh, I think they bought in a, an anthropologist or historian uh, then the various people that were in the General Assembly members. They came together and they studied us for 12 months to make sure we were who we said we were after all these years of interaction with the tribes. <laughs> so it was Chickahominy, Eastern Chickahominy, Upper Mattapanai, Mattapanai, I think Pamunkey was in there. They included them at the end, and then our tribe. So it was six tribes then. Um, and so after the anthropologists and the historians and whoever they came in, scientists to check us out, um, found out we were really who we said we were, then the state decided they would recognize us as Indian tribes. Um, and that was in 1983. What differences did that make to your tribe when the state finally recognized? Like, were there any kind of, like, like you said, like red tape you had to go through? or? Well, other than the study. Okay. You know, we had to prove that we were tribal communities. We had our own schools. We had our own churches. That we stayed together. That we kept our culture. And what we call it, and under the federal criteria, it's called keeping community. So we kept community on a consistent basis, and um, that, that was what they determined that we were Native American tribes by. Um, and it didn't really do anything for us, <laughs> except for it recognized us as state tribes. And it did create an Indian commission that each representative from each tribe, uh, as, the, as the tribe decided who they wanted to represent them, would go there as a commissioner, and they would serve as an appointee of the governor for whatever time period that was. I think it was every four years they mm -hmm. redid commissioners. And these people would come together and work on various issues that was before the state pertaining to tribes. And it sounds like then federal recognition now would be pretty transformative in you know, like how the tribe is recognized and developed over time. Uh, what was the process over the past, like let's say, 10 years of going into D.C. and, like, lobbying congressmen or asking them about what it would take for your tribe and other tribes to be recognized in Virginia. And this is open-ended, too, because I know you had mentioned that you've been to D.C. 
and um, and that you've also worked on like lobbying and going up and advocating for like re tribes recognition. So it's an open-ended question. And at that time period, uh, a strategy that the tribe used because of all the persecution that was taking place here against the tribe, that families would decide who was going to go north, where they could get education and jobs. And they, those groups would go north. They settled in communities just like they would have here. And they worked and sent money home to the tribe to pay lobbyists to fight for our recognition in Richmond, where we would not have been able to do that because the people here couldn't get jobs and couldn't get education. So the only education we had was our own tribal schools, and the only jobs we had was farming and our own timber companies and things like that that the tribe was able to do. We couldn't go out and get a job somewhere. I just feel that it was a very uh, tiresome task to take on. Um, when it first started, you've, you got energized in doing that, and uh, as you would continue working with the legislators that were up there, and uh, you would you know, more or less give them your statements of why we need to be and uh, in reference to some of the other federal recognized tribes that have uh, assumed being all around the country. And here you are in Virginia and you don't have the first federally recognized tribes, especially since we were the first for the colonists to even meet us, you know, here in um it, uh, it saddened me that they didn't even know the history uh, of all of this. And, but when you went to them, it was like they were trying to pacify you. Like, I understand what you're going through. We're going to see what we can do. And, and then that was basically the end of it, you know. And we did this for years, going up there to different legislators that were um, either for or against. We wanted to meet with the ones that were for us just to reiterate and make sure they were going to be supporting the ones that were in opposition, you know, that took a little while to just try and get to even see them. This last time, when it actually uh, was so close, um, it kind of made me nervous, you know, thinking, is it really going to go? Mm -hmm. And when we finally found out that it was passed through the Senate and it was going to the president to be signed, then you still had little apprehension about is he really going to sign this because of stipulations that had to be in our bill? Or are they still thinking that we're going to try and overturn that somewhere? You know, but when he signed it, it was like, yes, finally we've got the recognition. And I was happy just for the part of we're finally recognized. I know we have all the benefits that go with this. But it was just the idea of recognizing us here in Virginia because we have been so um, ostracized throughout the years. And to finally get this and thinking, is it going to be overturned again? You know, you have all that negativity that still goes there. Mm -hmm. But now we feel like we've got a firm foundation. And Chief Ann's been up there just trying to find out what that foundation <laughs> is. And uh, so it's been, it's been good. But it's also been tiresome and strenuous at times, you know, mm -hmm. for that. Yeah, I think that perspective is really fascinating because, you know, we can talk all day about the, like, financial benefits, but only really you guys can speak to the sort of sentimental benefits of being recognized. Mm -hmm. 
And I don't know if anyone else would like to add on like what it really means to be recognized beyond any of like these federal benefits that come along with it. What does it really mean? Well, it's, one thing is, is um, all the illness that's passed away. It's, uh, it's gratifying that they worked so hard to try to get this federal recognition and now we finally got it. So it feels like what they were doing wasn't a waste. Um, um, and, you know, to be able to accomplish that for your people uh, proves that what they were doing, we finally finished it up. And uh, now we got to go see where we go from here with it. Um, as far as the young people in the tribe, um, getting them involved and everything. So I think... Um, I think that once we finished, got to that point, that's the gratifying point. Of it. <clears throat> mm-hmm. you know, that a lot of them didn't get to see it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the sad part. Because uh, I remember when Thomasina Jordan was still alive, which was a bill that came after the bill, uh, one of the uh, congressmen or senators, wherever he was, told her she would never live to see federal recognition. And uh, when he was right. And so there was a lot of them, and we don't have many elders that's left. Yeah. And we're the next generation, so uh, I'm not an elder, of course. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we've got a young people, and so this foundation that we're going to have to start now is going to be, really be left up to them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, we've been plugging at this, as Barbara said, and as all of everyone's mentioned, we've been doing this a long time. And being up there in the White House uh, on a daily basis, as some of us were, well, not a daily basis, but up there often enough, it, it was very discouraging. Yeah. Because as I mentioned to you earlier, they'd pat you on the back and smile in your face, and, and they didn't have any intentions of doing anything that they told you they were going to do. It's crazy how much you all had to go through, too, just to get recognition. And oh, like, yeah. I mean, do, do you all give any ideas of like why, like what's the motive, motives of like our government to kind of prevent you like for this long from getting it. A lot of it was gambling. You know, yeah. um, they didn't want us to, you know, some of the other tribes do casinos and stuff like that. We would go up and talk to them would always be excuse why this didn't pass, why that didn't pass. Um, uh, but it came down to, you know, casinos to, to played a big role in that. You know, they didn't want Virginia and tribes doing that. So uh, that 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 played that slowed down a lot too. And you had the tobacco companies that were fighting us. We had uh, yeah. petroleum companies that were fighting. So you're talking about big pockets, you know. And, and we were yeah. five hundred poor Indians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, major companies contributing to the to get it to stopped. stop it. Is that because of land or like land usage or how, why why would they want to prevent that? Well, some of it was to do with, uh, they felt like uh, taxes, money that they would, revenue they would lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, as, as small a tribe as we are, I don't think we'd hurt the petroleum. <laughs> but, you know, that's their mindset. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I guess they were basing it on, as Mark said earlier, that there's a lot of tribes that did do casinos, and some of them did well, and some of them didn't do well. Mm-hmm. But we, everything that we assigned, we gave up a lot in this bill that I felt we shouldn't have, but it was for the benefit of the tribe to give up, to get federal recognition. And I mean, it's, 
not that we wanted to gamble, but that was a stipulation. You know, you have to, you can't do gambling, and you can't do this, and you can't do this. And every time we went up there, we we change it to what they wanted. Then it was something else. Mm -hmm. So it just went from one thing to the other, and finally we just said no, no more, no more stipulations. But even with that, even when you went up there, and we had that stipulation on our bill, especially with the casino. There was always that would come up constantly, constantly. you know. And I'm like, it's written written in the bill. <laughs> what do you, more do you want to have it? You know, do we have to, you know, sign our lives away and say no? Each individual is not going to attempt to have their own casino going on or, or what? But every time we would go there. Even the one, the ones that were against you would say, "Well, it's in the bill. Why can't we get this?" And it would still come up. I don't care what else was done. The casino thing was the main question for that. And then some started settling down and just say, "Well, I'm going to abstain. You know, I won't vote for or against. You know, they won't go either way." And I think that's what kind of helped us move along a little bit further. But um, I'm thinking to myself. They have gambling and whatever else they want here in Virginia anyway. And a lot of people go out of state to go to the casino. So the ones that are living here, if they're going out and spending the money out there, they're certainly not bringing any revenue and taxes reforms in here. So, mm -hmm. But, I mean, uh, I just thought that, like Jerry said, I think we we sold ourselves out on some of the things because... Most of the tribes that have gotten federal recognition didn't have to have any of those stipulations put on their bill. They are sovereign, and if they want to go and do a casino, you know, they can make plans to do that. We can't. And what's behind this misrepresentation of the connection between Native Americans and casinos? Is it just, you know, is it what you see in the media? I mean, even reading, like, a Washington Post article... I remember, it, like, it said, like, one of the big concerns was that the Native American tribes, if receiving recognition, they would, you know, build casinos. So, like, what's behind this misrepresentation? I, I think it's, um, I've, I've been in Indian country about 25 years, and I've seen um, gambling casinos done really well, and I've seen them done really bad. And they bring in a lot of things that we wouldn't want. But the other part of that is, I call it the colonial mentality. Now, the colonial mentality says this was the Indians' land. We killed them all off and took it, and now it belongs to us. And so when Indians began to rise up and say, we want to do whatever on land, people freak out about land. Um, and so I think because of all the work that was done out west with the tribal nations setting up casinos and very successful ones like Foxwood up in Connecticut and um, the Sun up Mohegan. Um, <clears throat> municipalities began to really fight those tribes because they were trying to take up land for this development. And they really resented it. I went to, I think you were with us when we went to hearings in Washington, when the people from Stoneham, Connecticut, came out and started just barraging the tribe with all of these accusations. And the main thing was that they weren't even Indian. I mean, they didn't even want to talk about you're doing this with the lamb, you're doing that. They wanted to, to attack their ethnicity and say, you're not Indian, blah, 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 blah. 
um, <clears throat> which was really, cr that had nothing to do with what was going on, but they were using anything that they could. And so I think uh, many states became very um, concerned that tribes would create the kind of economic independence that Foxwood did for their people, and they would no longer be able to control how they use land or how much money they had or how much power, because that translates into power, money translates into power, how much power we would have if we became very wealthy. And so there was always this unspoken fear that you could see it in the eyes of some of the legislators when I would go in, you know, to talk about the recognition. Um, and then there were particular people who fought against gaming, period, and fought our bill really hard for many years and finally just left office. And um, thank God. And that was part of the reason that it cleared the way for us to have our recognition. But it was a long time coming. So I think that gambling, you know, is um, yeah, my personal opinion, not something I want to see here. Not because it doesn't bring in vast amounts of money, but at the same time, it brings in things that you don't want along with the things that you do. Can you speak a little bit more about um, the like identity of the Rappahannock um, tribe and like what sort of traditions you would like to maintain uh, moving forward? Well, um, part of why it's been so difficult for us um, is that colonial mentality that wanted to keep resources from the tribes. Even after we got state recognition, there was no state money that came in to say, okay, well, you, you tribes are here. Let's see what we can do to put your presence here, so your history is highlighted. Uh, they would highlight it at their conferences or their museums, but they wouldn't give us any money to highlight it here because they couldn't control the story. So um, we were ultimately, I say, our history was hijacked and held hostage by the state. Um, and so what I want to see is, and we've been working on this for... 20 years, we've had a historian that came in to do research, and there were people before him that came in in the 20s, Dr. Frank Speck, James Mooney, who documented the history of the tribes and traditional culture. Um, since I've been in office, I've tried to do what I can to bring that traditional culture back to the tribe so that it's not lost for the generations ahead of us. I mean, we practiced it in our generation, but I'm 61, okay? So it's a big gap between 61 and the kids now that are 17 and 18 years old. Um, and we needed to make sure that those people in between that gap were able to learn about their history, able to learn about their dance, their drum, uh, and, and the parts of our tradition that make us distinctively Rappahannock. Um, <clears throat> right now we have the opportunity through the federal recognition for funding to actually work that program the way it should be worked with language and um, oral histories. And we're doing a, a project called the Return to the River, 
that we hope to launch this summer, and it's taking our kids back to the river in traditional canoes and teaching them all of the life ways that are on the river that that generation doesn't know anything about. That's really cool that you're doing that for like the whole community. But then I guess like on like on a bigger scale, like are you all is anything being done for I guess like Virginia history? So then like Native American tribes are taught about in high school and middle school a bit more or we have been working on that for let's see <laughs> twenty years or more. Thirty. Thirty. <laughs> more than thirty years. Yeah. Um I think it was nineteen 19- 82, when we went to the Department of Education to try to get them to change the words like savages and heathens out of the history books. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, it's changed now, um, but the truth is not necessarily there. Uh, It's the state's version of the truth. Uh, What federal recognition will do is it will give us funding to tell the truth. Documented research. This is not some imagination that we're having or even an oral history that was passed down. This is documented proof of what was going on. And that story can be told, which is much more compelling than anything the state's trying to teach kids. And we want to be able to become an education center that also teaches, whether we do it through video or downloadable um, Programs for schools, um, podcast, podcasts, <laughs> but th- that information needs to be out there because it's truth. The thing it's with, uh, oh, I'm sorry. The thing with uh, information that's been uh, divulged about at the tribes in Virginia is that you have to be care- uh, you have to look at who's writing it because a lot of times, even back during Smith's time, they were biased. So they wrote stuff back to England that would make it sound good so that they, they could get people to come over here. It wasn't necessarily the truth that they were talking about us about, but they they just made it seem that way. That's kind of what I was getting ready to say where the jury was concerned because uh, I've been told by various people when they're looking at our history from a different writer, it's slanted. And they said, and they asked me, why is it slanted? Well, it's because of who they are and how they view Native Americans. And they could be seeing the truth right there, but they're not going to tell you the truth because maybe it won't make a good book to be selling or something like that. Um, so it, it does make a difference. And with the fundings that we may be able to do, like Chief Ann said, that the truth will finally come out. They'll hear our version of how our people lived and how we encountered the colonists and how we deal with people today uh, on, on in relationships to one another. So it's, it won't be just one side. You know, it'll have both res- perspectives for everybody to really understand and to really understand us as a group of people that have been in this country for decades and decades and decades. And, you know, we're just kind of cast aside just because of progress that England wanted to do and it didn't matter whether they thought we were human beings or not you know and we are and we have a story to tell and I think the generations that are coming up not only in our own tribe but just society in general 
uh, I think they need to know what, what really is going on and, um, and how to deal with situations because we're here and we're not going away and we need to learn as much as possible you know, from one another. And I think that would make a better relationship um, within the communities and, and elsewhere. There's been lots of people that would come up to us and ask us, well, that's a nice costume you got on there. Well, that's very degrading to me because it's not a costume to me. I'm not out doing Halloween. And so this is part of the learning process that people need to know that the regalias that we wear are ceremonial and we wear them with respect. And so that's another part that if you had a museum, you know, you could have those up and explain why they're there, the beadwork that might come from that, the headpiece that might come from that. So it it will enlighten people as to know what's going on, you know, in that in that part of it. And I just feel that hopefully with this federal recognition that we'll be able to even fund our museum because this building here is just a two-phase building that we had. We had plans on the opposite side here to have a museum. So um, we're hoping one day that we'll see that. I hope I get to see it, you mm -hmm. know, uh, over time. But uh, it's something that's been planned many years ago. Mm -hmm. so. Plus the stereotype also uh, of people look at the Indian... Whenever you see something on TV or in books, you always see the native... They're always beautiful or handsome with their long flowing hair. And everyone thinks that if you don't look like that image, yeah. then you're not Indian. <laughs> but all Indians don't look alike. <laughs> and then the other part of that is, you know, that the state has held out history hostage. And so when people come up and they are ignorant, you really can't blame them. Yeah. yeah. Because of what has gone on here with the history. So it, it is an opportunity to teach people and uh, help them to learn about the people that live right around them that they don't know anything about. We have people living right around here. Well, they know who we are now. They, they probably knew who we were all along. But a lot of it, <laughs> in the olden days, and when I was growing up, uh, being Indian was not popular. And so their, their, fam their kids, we would meet down the dirt road here and play together all day long. And then we'd go our separate ways. And then if you... If they, their parents found out that they were hanging out with us, they got punished. They, they weren't supposed to be with us because we weren't good enough for their kids to play with. So, you know, it, it's uh, the ignorance is all around you. I mean, you don't have to go somewhere else to see it. I mean, you, you can find it right in your own neighborhood. Well, I, I think that's a great place to conclude here, our little roundtable discussion. Mm -hmm. Thanks again for doing this. We, we really appreciate it. And yeah, we're looking forward to like, making this into an episode. And whatnot. I think this will be like really incredible. And that concludes our really fascinating discussion with the Rappahannock tribe. Here we'll take you to Tyler and my commentary during the ride home as we reflect on the roundtable to chat. Yeah, I mean, I think that... You know, when she was talking about how it felt on a more sentimental level, it was really powerful just because, you know, you can weigh the pros and cons of getting recognition and what it means as far as funding, but it's hard for somebody to understand just by reading how it really feels and, you know, after, so, after having gone through so much, what it's actually like to finally become recognized. Um, and that was probably, like, the most powerful 
part of our discussion um, from my point of view. Absolutely. I mean, like, for me, what it really hit back to was when we had our episode on the southern border, the other southern border. Like, the whole process of, you know, coming to the United States and getting citizenship, like, that seems about as stressful as it is to be recognized to be a Native American tribe, which is just, it's crazy, because, like, the the Natives, they've been here far longer than any, um, you know, people who are Euro-American or whatever you want to define it. Um... It's just crazy to me that they have to jump through so many hoops, just like someone who's coming here to the country. Um, it, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and one of the biggest issues was basically the fact that legislators and politicians were worried about gambling and the issue of like the build up, building up of casinos. Even when it said in the law that like, casinos could not be built in these lands, politicians still question whether or not they should pass the law or receive recognition and in fact many simply just like abstained from from doing anything or trying to pass anything um and so that like like, tells you a lot about you know some of the difficulties like even if it's right in front of them you know we're not going to build casinos it was still difficult for them to pass it which is you know it's it's wild it's absolutely crazy yeah it's like the politicians are just stuck in their way like they couldn't really understand that you know, things are different. I mean, that happens all the time with, like, a bunch of issues, but just, I don't know, especially with this, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. This colonial mentality thing was, uh, was kind of interesting as well. I, t- it kind of took me a while to wrap my head around it, you know, the fact that we could still be thinking with the same colonial mentality, mm-hmm. which she described as, like, the colonists killed the Indians off and took their land so that when the Indians decide to do what they want with the land, the same colonists feel threatened. And it's hard to imagine that that could be applicable today, but I guess I guess it is, and they very much feel that up until they were recognized. Um, and even when they're recognized, all these stipulations about not having a casino, not having this and that, kind of shows like where or how the remnants of this colonial mentality still exist within in Virginia within other parts of the U.S. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's been a couple tribes out west that um, they've tried to get independence. And people people go crazy about that, but, like, they're not even getting independence with this. They're just getting aid. I, I thought, like, what she was talking about, the colonial mentality stuff, I thought it was brilliant. I yeah. thought it was really, really... I've never heard it... Like, I've never heard it spoken about in that, in that, in that light. One other thing that I thought was interesting that, you know, just really struck me was the whole geography of where the native tribes were, because for me at least, I had no idea what I'd be expecting driving into native land, like Native American land. It could have been any town in rural America, and that really struck me, because, I mean, they talked about how some people think they still live in teepees and whatnot, but it was just, you know, it just looked like your typical rural town with that just happened to have such a rich history of Native American tradition and, and you know, tradition within, amongst the Rappahannock tribe. So it's a lot different here on the East Coast than in the West because most of those who were living on the East Coast were killed off. Um, and so the people we get to see are the remnants of, like, they're, they're not the full tribe, whereas out West... Like they out west, it, it, like, it, it really is more of the full tribe. Like they're much easier 
to retain their culture because um, and it, it's just more of them. There are only 200 some odd um, individuals that identify as like you know, rapid from in the rap that they are in the Rappahannock tribe. Yeah, I remember you. So you had a few questions about the how they're how like Native Americans are portrayed in history books that I thought um, were really interesting, and it kind of made me think twice about what I read when I was younger about Native Americans and how I perceive them still. You know, like before right be- even right before walking in and interviewing them like how you perceive what is a native american um and yeah they made me realize it, it's so it's so simplistic to, but they made me realize that like not all native americans look alike for example and that's something that you just kind of have this vision of a native american when in reality they're so different across tribes across regions and everything like that so that was like a good not awakening, but it kind of like um, you know made me step back and think about what I had learned and some of the misperceptions that I had about Native Americans coming into this kind of interview or this kind of like roundtable discussion. I think that's really important because a lot of people don't really understand what you should do, like how yeah. to interact with Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people may think it's like a show um, that they used to have powwows um across from my school um and everybody's like oh you know look at their like they'd say like people would be like oh i like your costume yeah it's not a costume right it's their it's their tribal um garb for the for the event they, i remember they talked a lot about how people don't know that november is native american history month um i didn't know that like i'll be honest up front like i had no uh, clue that no- november it's that's not like something that's emphasize at all in, in classes in school or anything like that um, so you know maybe that'll receive more attention in the months of November to come maybe I mean that's what you hope yeah. but like the way she the way that she said it you know what their main goal is and I and I think it's really good what their main goal is to retain their culture within their tribe um, and they're trying you know to talk to the state legislator and getting like more education on Native Americans but it, I think that's where the biggest pushback is. And I think that even because they've gotten recognition, I don't even know if that's going to make that much of a difference. Yeah. Um, I, th- I mean, so some of the programs that they talked about seem pretty unique when they take their kids or, you know, the younger the younger generation, so to speak, down to the river for that um, event with the canoes that she was talking about. Um, I don't know, they seem like really unique ways to kind of... And ensure that the younger generation retains the culture after, you know, the culture that's so embedded in Virginian history. For, like, representation-wise, um, I don't know, do, you, do you think that, um, I mean, since they're, they're technically now their own territory in, in some respects, do you think they should be allowed to have their own representative to the state capitol or something like that? No, I've never thought about that. I know she talked about the Indian Council earlier. Yeah, they have an Indian Council, but... And I think that's novel, but it probably, in reality, you know, this is all speculation, but I don't know if it does too much to hold weight in what Virginia actually does as state. Um, I could be wrong, just based on my, like, preconceptions, but... I don't know, I mean, I just think I'm, like, you know, seeing 
Native Americans present in the state legislature could really do something. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of countries and in, like, Latin America sometimes will have quotas for, like, um, how many indigenous members are politicians and things like that. So, I mean, I don't see why that couldn't exist in Virginia. I don't see who it would hurt. But I also don't see it happening right. based on the current, like, legisl- like if you're a legislator, you, a legislator, you're not going to want to lose your position um, and give more representation to these native tribes and only have, you know, like, 250 people. Like, they can only pull so much weight for themselves. Right. Um, so, uh, ideally, yes. Practically, no. I mean, what do you think? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it goes a lot with what she was saying with her colonial mentality right? mm-hmm. you know I mean what is the image that the Virginia legislator or the Virginia government wants Virginia to be and you know like going with what she's saying I don't think the image of Virginia from you know the people in power I think the image of Virginia what they want is you know we are the colonists and that's what they celebrate, they celebrate the huge celebration from Jamestown they're about to have this huge like they're pouring millions of dollars into this huge celebration for the House of Burgesses, because um, like we're like the biggest or the the longest uh, legislative body in the East or, or in the New World. Um, that's what they're putting the money into. They're not putting their money into the Native Americans because that, like their image of Virginia, is where the colonists. Mm-hmm. And if you bring in the Native into that identity, I think it for them it muddles it. Yeah, yeah. Once you bring in the Native identity. The history doesn't starts to look not as pretty. And that'll do it for today's episode. We really want to thank the Rappahannock tribe for taking the time to sit down with us. The discussion was really insightful and just extremely moving. And we would also appreciate it if you could, you know, just give us a rating and comment on iTunes. That really helps us out with outreach and, and expanding to new audiences. And also feel free to give us any comments on the episode content or creation. Tune in next week as Dom and I look at Los Desaparecidos, or the disappeared in Mexico and state violence within the country. We'll see you next week.